Welcome to Tales from the Chalk Line with Ann Schwartz. Tina was telling me that she missed my intro music, so dudes, it is back. Um, if you missed it, we had a short, I don't know if you would call it emergency, but like a short episode that I added in last week uh, when uh, there was the shooting in Orlando. And we are going to be back. We're back today with the second half of Lonnie's episode, which should have been out yesterday. But, you know, sometimes life doesn't happen the way that you expect it to, which is okay. First, this week's syllabus. So to read this week, if we're being totally honest, I started summer vacation. So I'm reading the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan, which I read in high school. There are like 14 books and they're like eight to a thousand eight hundred to a thousand pages long so I should probably not be doing this but I'm doing it anyway it's not good but after that I intend to finish shrill and for white folks you teach in the hood but if you're looking for an article to read this week you should read choosing a school for my daughter in a segregated city it's a really really interesting article about the New York public school system but from the perspective of a parent who is trying to choose a school for their child two parents, a mother and a father, to listen to, talk to Moses Rifkin today, who's going to be on the podcast for next week. And he recommends on the media's coverage of Orlando. If you missed it last week, you should listen to my coverage of Orlando and how to talk to kids about stuff like this. Uh, To watch, I just was texting with Brian Meyer, who's awesome. And he reminded me that I have been meaning to watch The United Shades of America, W. Kamau Bell. Um, I love W. Kamau Bell. He uh, has a really good portion of a This American Life episode, which then there, he talks about again in another thing. So I've seen him, tw- I've listened to him twice talk about something that happened to him in Berkeley, uh, where someone thought he was a homeless person bothering the nice white ladies, when in real life the nice white lady was his wife and child. And today Lonnie and I talk about how being a parent has changed her perception of schools, her feelings on some group work stuff. And a couple of people have told me that you don't mind hearing me talk so much. So prepare yourself because this first few minutes has more me than Lonnie, which I don't love, but I hope that you will enjoy very much. Side note, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, this week's episode is not going to make a ton of sense. So if you didn't listen to part one with Lonnie, you should go back and do that before you hop into part two. Awesome. That's it. Do, 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 do. We graduated our first class yesterday, so it was pretty exciting. Were you emotional? A little bit. I teach a senior class, so we don't track at all until senior year they get some option in some classes. Uh Uh-huh. So for math, there are options next year, although this year there were only two. Next year, it'll be AP Calc, AP Stat, or Transition to College Mathematics, which mm-hmm. is the one that I teach. Mm-hmm. And so I have, like, the, the group of kids who have traditionally been less successful. Mm-hmm. Although at Del Lago, like, they've done all the things, right? Right. Like, they've still taken ninth grade, 10th grade, and 11th grade math. Um, and we make them take this class and it's, it's really neat cause I get to meet these kids and I do a little bit of, um, Moses's, Moses Rifkin's social justice curriculum mm-hmm. 
but I also follow the TCMS. So they get to learn about like voting math and they get to learn about like how we encrypt things on the internet. And that's super cool. I mean, that's like so important for critical citizenship. Yes. Uh, the voting stuff was super interesting and the connection between the statistics. So there's a stats unit, there's a survey and polling unit, uh-huh. how that works. And then there's a voting unit. And then we did like Moses Rifkin's sort of social justice piece. And we looked at how all three of those were connected. Wow. And it was super cool. Um, so these kids are my first kids I ever got to teach this to. And now they're going out into the world. So for me, were they pretty jazzed? Like, did it's, they find that pretty engaging? It's interesting. Yes and no. So, mostly yes. I would say huh. most of them found it super interesting. Um, I feel as though I need to change things next year, as always. But I feel as though, like, Moses' curriculum was written more for white kids. Uh, interesting. And I don't teach. I mean, like, our school 60% Hispanic, uh, 30% white, and 10% other, I think. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of them, when we were talking about this stuff, they were like, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> the injustice stuff was like, yeah, I know that. That's like my life you're describing. Right. And it was real interesting because we looked at graduate data, like de- data of college graduates, like in the science fields. Uh-huh. And like how almost like, I think it was like 75% of graduates in the science fields are white men. It was something ridiculous like yeah. that. And I was like, okay, so do we think that white men are just better at science? And what they say? And some of them were, some of them for a second, like took a, took a step back. And some of them said no, because they knew it was the answer that I was looking for. Right. <laughs> but a lot of them were like, no, that can't be possibly be true. And I was like, okay, so what's wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's an interesting, like, it's a little bit of an upsetting unit because you don't come to an answer. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering because there's a educational researcher who also, you know, has a lot of classroom experience who, um, he used Rico Gutstein's social justice curriculum. Um, and Rico's, um, curriculum was developed in a primarily Latino community. Huh. And, um, and this man, Andrew Bratlinger, he, he used it with um, a more diverse group of kids. I mean, still mostly from underrepresented groups, but just more variety. Yeah. And I, I don't want to misquote anybody, but I seem to remember that oh, I part of this book. Oh, you do? Okay. Rethinking Mathematics, Teaching Social Justice by the Numbers? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keep talking. Sorry. Part of okay. the... So that's Rico's book is, is the one you just named. But um, so this man, Andrew Bratlinger, he's like, oh, I'm going to do this curriculum with in this other community. And um, one of the pushbacks he got from kids was, you're not teaching us real math. Mm-hmm. And like they knew enough to know what it takes to have access to the culture of power and to feel concerned that maybe by that they were being pandered, I don't know if pandered is too strong of a word, but that there was something that they were being denied by being given this curriculum instead of the traditional curriculum, which would, you know, potentially give them greater access to the kinds of things that they were trying to get access to, which like that was a sort of a tension that I had never really thought about. Maybe uh-huh. 
But, um, you know, the kids, you know, well, every math teacher knows that kids have their ideas about what constitutes a legitimate math curriculum. Mm-hmm. Anyway. No, they do. And uh, they have real strong feelings. I did have a couple who were like, why aren't we doing real math? Yes, exactly. That was the kind of thing that Andrew. Uh And I said, because you know what? And part of the thing was that this is a, what should be, because we're on not a traditional four by four. We're on what is, I essentially like to call just a four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, We take four classes all year long. I Um, kind of love that. What? I kind of love that. It's great. I mean, all our kids take, I mean, like a lot of the things we're doing are the right things for kids. Um, Mm -hmm. But so next year, the seniors will do a more traditional four by four. Uh Uh-huh. So the seniors will only have this class for half a semester, half a year. But we were at the end of the year and I was like, I have three weeks left of school and I don't have anything that I need to teach because I've done a textbook at this point. Right. So I'm going to do this unit, not just because of time filling, but because I think it's important. And I said to some kids, I was like, we're going to do this because I think it's important. At the end of the two weeks, I will let you write whatever you want about how you feel about what we did. Mm -hmm. And if you all hated it more than life, I'm never going to do it again. Mm -hmm. And in general, I got pretty good feedback. There were definitely some kids who were like, you had too many opinions. Yeah. And I was like, you're not wrong, kid. I do have too many opinions. That's like a lifelong problem. It's a it's a real life thing. I mean, yeah. they were very upset. There was like a couple of them that were very upset about the definition of racism that does not allow you to be racist against white people. Uh-huh. And that wasn't just white kids who felt that no, way? No. It was one white kid and one Hispanic kid. Mm-hmm. Real, real upset about that. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and like correspondingly sexism. Uh-huh. Like, real upset that you couldn't be sexist against dudes. Yeah. It's hard. It is. And they're young. And, you know, it's, it's anyway. Yeah. So interesting. I'm going to go in a different direction because I just. Go anyway. for it. Um, so I've read a bunch of your stuff and we've talked about this a little bit before on Twitter and I don't know, but you have some feelings about professional development for teachers. Yes. Can you talk about what, like, good professional development looks like in your mind and maybe what, like, less good professional development looks like? Well, less good is easy to start with, right? Because right. we've all been in that workshop. <laughs> and, and I use the word workshop on purpose because that's usually what it is. It's like one day dog and pony show, like, a lot of stuff that's like tips and tricks and silver bullets and how this is going to change everything. So it overpromises. It's brief. It doesn't really connect um, to like what I'm dealing with and the questions I have as a teacher. So there's not much connection mm-hmm. to what I care about, what I'm interested in. Those are the things that I think are, you know, just in a sort of a thumbnail way. Um, some of the things that make for not good professional development. Um, what makes for good professional development, I think, is a little harder to pin down, but it's certainly something that where teachers have opportunities to learn over time, where they have opportunities to try stuff out and get feedback on it, um, where there's um, 
their own questions have an opportunity to be engaged and not just in a like, are there any questions way, but like deeper engagement, like, um, you know, like the real, real talk kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, and where there's enough trust between whoever's doing the facilitation and the people who are doing the learning that, that those deeper questions can be engaged because honestly, like, a lot of the hardest questions about teaching can't be answered easily or quickly. And I worry that we sometimes oversell things, um, you know, that teachers should just, and that, that it, it sets up false expectations on the part of not only teachers, but on like on the part of the public, on the part of policymakers that, to, to really have a deep and humble understanding of how complex this work is. Um, I don't know. It feels like that is kind of an important stance yeah. that good professional development should embrace. Yeah. I mean, the overpromising feels very familiar. But like you do yeah, these two things that we taught you and your classroom will be magically fixed. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because – on the one hand, like, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but because it's close to my work, like, I've seen a lot of, like, protocols for group processes oh. get sold as, like, you do this and you'll be amazed at what happens. And I've been in groups where those protocols are in use and you're like, wow, this is a pretty cool conversation. These, these people are really digging deep, but probably more often I've been in situations where those things are in use and it's kind of a problem. You know, there's nothing in a protocol or a process that necessarily guarantees that, for instance, deficit framings of kids aren't going to be in very strong play. Right. And as long as that's what's in play, I don't care what your protocol is. I don't care what your group process is. We aren't going to get to the real stuff. You mean where I call a kid a low kid? That's one of them. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it sort of goes to what you were saying earlier about these kids can't, my kids right. can't. That's deficit talk, right? And right. that's like, to me, like a really big tip off that, we aren't asking the harder questions of, okay, what can our kids do and what can we do to connect our curriculum to what they can do? And, you know, that's, that's a hard question. It's so interesting when you talk about this because I had my first period, my really challenging group this year, had a lot of scholars who consistently – sorry, we use scholars at That's fine. School. I can roll with it. <laughs> I, I – I thought I escaped the language, but I really haven't. No, it's okay. Um, we, we, I have a lot of scholars who consistently know Mark, who consistently get less than 2.5, and a lot of scholars who consistently are getting, like, almost perfect scores, mm -hmm. which is a hard split, right? Because yep. you have You've got a wildly out. heterogeneous class, like a bimodal. Yes, it's bimodal is the problem. In, in terms of achievement. Yes, in terms of achievement. But what I found was, and these were conversations I wouldn't have had if I hadn't had this class, was how I make seating charts is based on how good kids are at working in groups. Mm -hmm. Like there is almost no, like I almost, I rarely think about like, 
oh, there's a kid in this group who's a high kid or a low kid. I'm like, there's a kid in this group who is really good at asking questions. Mm -hmm. There's a kid in this group who is really good at like trading notebooks. Mm -hmm. Like I see that more and being way more effective than these like false group things. We oh, don't do. get me started on those. But the, the, <laughs> the, um, I mean, and then it becomes an issue of like, you know, so you take that kid who's a 2.5 or whatever, but you know, you can count on them to like ask the amazing questions. Right. And you can be like, oh my gosh, I am so glad that you are in this group because that was exactly the question that your group really needed to think about. And then that kid has a chance to be like, huh, interesting. I have a 2.5, but she just basically said that I said something smart. Yep. And, huh, that's that's interesting because I don't think of myself that way. And the other kids around that kid get to go, huh, I guess this person who I just wasn't taking very seriously because I know what his or her grades are. are. Yep. You know, so, like, that that's, like, one of those, like, slow culture-building things. That, that we- apparently takes until March. Yes, it does. It often does. It's it's so hard. That stuff is so hard. <laughs> it's just funny. Never, never have I worked as hard as I did with this group of kids. Yep. <laughs> totally, completely believe it. And, you know, part of what was awesome about when I was at <clears throat> Railside, um, and sharing this classroom with this very experienced, very accomplished teacher who I still to this day am friends with and just have so much respect for because he's so awesome. Um, he had one of those classes that year. Yeah. So watching someone who you know, like, has every move at his disposal and, like, gazillions of years of experience and so much wisdom and – he was like, yeah, you know, just sometimes you just have those kids. You just have that group that, like, it's really hard to get them to come together. And, like, sometimes it's about trust and sometimes it's about they don't feel safe. And sometimes he had all these different ways of exploring it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? <laughs> it still was really hard. And sometimes they feel too safe. Yeah, too well, there's safe. that, too. And it's, I don't know how big your school is, but that, that sometimes happens in smaller schools. Yes. Where, where like, the kids know each other too much, and they're almost like siblings. Yes, and our kids travel in cohorts. Ah, oh, So goodness. that helps, too. And so this was a rough cohort. It didn't, and, and some of that dynamic also comes from how they get to act in other teachers' classes. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, totally. But I definitely had a moment this year where I took a child outside. I sent a child outside after saying Miss Schwartz maybe like 15 times while I was ignoring them because I was helping someone else. Uh-huh. And I took – and this is my like – I'm saying this on the podcast and my, this is my crowning glory of the year where I literally said there's no one else in the hallway. We do restorative practices, so I'm usually pretty big on the like what happened, why were you sent outside, all of uh-huh. that. I go – you are literally the most annoying child I have ever met in my entire <laughs> life. Oh, no. And the security guard is walking down the hall, and he goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, <gasps> and then I just, like, sat on the floor, and I looked at this kid who's sitting on a couch in the hallway, and he looks at me, and he goes, I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
That's so funny and so sad for everybody involved. Oh and I was just like, you have made it to the end. I just have nothing left for you, bro. Uh-huh. Why do you think I'm not calling on you? Oh, because I said your name 15 times? Yes! <laughs> that is why I'm not calling on you. Oh, yeah. At least he connected the dots eventually. Right, and was totally, like, did not damage the relationship. It's totally fine. Um, Still to this day makes jokes about it. But I was just like, I don't don't know what to do with you. You're so annoying. You're just being annoying. That's really funny. I just can't imagine. When I was deciding not to get a PhD, I can't imagine not having these kind of stories to tell. They're pretty awesome. They definitely are... um, one of the great perks, I mean, there's so many great things about classroom teaching and being a classroom teacher, which I'm glad I feel that way because, you know, I work in teacher preparation. So right. I would not feel ethical if I was preparing people for a job that I didn't think was an amazing and um, like, I think it's probably one of the most humanizing professions. Is there anything more humanizing than helping people become themselves? No. And like the like constant well of, and I don't know that everyone has this, but I feel this way. And I know lots of teachers do of like forgiveness because they're teenagers and they're going to be people soon. I know. And did you know you had that in you? No. It's amazing. Even for the most annoying child in the entire world. Exactly. Um, so I never forget you and, and probably tell that story to like, his oh, future no. partner. I have a question. So I've asked this, I asked for friends this, and I'm sort of wondering how has like your work in education changed since you've had children or since your children have been like mm-hmm. school aged? <sighs> hmm. Hmm. God, that's a huge question, Anne. I, I only ask huge questions. <laughs> um, well, I mean, part of what I'm thinking about is that I have, three children and my children are all very different. Mm -hmm. Um, um, let's see. I think probably the child who has changed me the most is my son. And I'm always really mindful when I talk about him, especially on something like this, that someday he will be a grown man and maybe not want to have like his childhood <laughs> broadcast through the the lands. But um, I will try to talk about him in as respectful way to his future self as as I possibly can. Um, so if I'm sounding like I'm being a little cagey, that's that's what that's about. I, think I just that's fair. Yeah, I mean, he is a person um, mm-hmm. who's going to have his own life sometime, like, outside of me and shouldn't have to be beholden to my narratives of things. Um, that being said, he is somebody who is twice exceptional, and school has been extremely hard for him because um, school is not made for people who aren't typical, Mm-mm. and he's not typical in two ways. And so I have had, I've had to learn, I I think that having been a teacher, I tended to err more on the side of, you know what, my kids need to learn to deal with the world as it is. I'm not going to like go in there and fight their battles for them. 
And I never wanted to be that parent. Right. You know? Yep. So that was sort of my initial stance. And it's not that things didn't come up with his older sisters where I had to step in or I had to advocate or help them navigate things. But my first impulse was typically to kind of hang back. Um, That doesn't work with him. Um, He's he's had a lot of difficulties in terms of behavior, in terms of being like suspended from school, um, clashing with teachers, like his relationship, the importance for him to build a strong relationship with his teachers off the bat is like, I think it's important for all kids, but I think when you're a kid who, I don't know, I don't, I'm trying to avoid labels, but who doesn't really fit into how school is designed to the extent that he doesn't, um, that relationship just becomes all the more crucial. Yeah. One of my friends whose child has a 504 plan, actually, she says that her thing is that she always wants the teachers to find her child's challenges to be interesting. Like you want to know that they're not looking at you going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have this kid in my class and I have to do all of these things. But you're like, oh, wow. You know, I've never thought about how would I teach what I need to teach and do what I need to do with somebody with these particular challenges. That's interesting. And as soon as a teacher frames it that way, you have a lot more hope as a parent that they're going to be an advocate for your kid and keep working with you and not just try to find the like the little formula that's going to make it all come together. Right. So I think I have a deep appreciation for that. And I've learned to be really proactive. Um, like we've already met, he's changing schools next year cause he's going to middle school. And like, we've already met with the principal in the middle school and said, Hey, nice to meet you. Here's the deal. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and you just kind of want to know that educators are game for mm-hmm. somebody who's not going to be a cookie cutter. Um, right. kid. And, um, You know, so I think I've learned to, like, my first impulse of, oh, I don't want to be that parent has been tempered by, I also need to be a good parent to my kid, you know, and do, I've tried to find ways to do so in ways that are respectful and grateful. Yeah, I was going to say, you can do that without being a pain in the butt. Yeah, I've, I've learned that you can, and I've, you know, part of what my learning has had to do with, too, is, like, um, you know what? It's better to get this conversation started mm-hmm. proactively than kind of wait for something to happen where you're then like putting out a fire. The other thing that it's taught me um, or maybe brought home for me is there is no doubt in my mind that my son's success in his last school has been a coordinated effort across like school leaders, um, you know, administration and just there's been a whole team of people like in special education, there's been a whole team of people. So that's, you know, I already you already got from me that I'm not a fan of like the the miracle worker teacher rhetoric. But I mean, I could tell you many, many stories that are about how it really took the village of the school. Um, One example is that his um, 
really wonderful um, social studies teacher had an unexpected absence because of a, a, something that happened in her family. And so she was out. And so they had the last minute less than ideal sub in her class. And the vice principal knows my son's temperament, knows what his challenges are, was able to kind of predict, oh my gosh, this is going to be less than optimal because this teacher, this particular substitute's bugaboos are going to hit exactly in his weak spots. So he had the foresight to kind of go by and check in and see how things were going. And he said things hadn't gotten bad, but he could see that they were starting to head in a bad direction. Right. So he was able to say, hey, you want to go read in the library this period? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And because my son can read in the library for six hours a day and he would be fine. And the librarian loves him and stuff. But, you know, and that was a team of the kids. administration having the foresight and the librarian having a trusting relationship with the librarian and knowing that that was a safe place for him. And seriously, that could have been like a disaster. Yeah, that sounds and I know you just said you don't like magical teacher rhetoric, but that sounds like magical school rhetoric. <laughs> it, you know, there's every school has its issues, its shortcomings right. and its strengths. But one of the strengths of my son's school that he just his elementary school that he just finished was there was an incredible principal, an incredible vice principal. And um, they worked with us we, we, like there was such a deep collaboration um, between our family and that school. And he also had like two amazing teachers this year so and if you're a smart principal because we just had our end of year like we have a brunch at the end of the year for the teachers this morning Mm -hmm. and then we had parents we were allowed to invite parents who had like made a contribution to the school not like (laughs) money wise but like time wise right like if you're smart and I mean honestly like I'm looking at you and I'm thinking any parent has something to contribute to our school. If I create a safe place for their kid, right. there's a good chance that a parent could be a, some sort of contributor to the community. Yep. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like, Lonnie works at Vanderbilt, but it could be like, I'm really good for this kid. This kid's really happy at my school. Maybe they have extra money. Maybe they're a money family. Or maybe right. they're the family that has time. Yep. Like... Yeah, I mean, I've told the principal and the vice principal, I'm like, listen, you need math PD, like, on me. Like, I'll do some work with your teachers because, you know, that's what I have to offer. Right, exactly. I don't have – I'm not going to be the room parent or, Mm. you know, I'm not going to be writing, like, $1,000 checks. That's not me, but I have something to offer, and I – I have such deep gratitude. I mean, it's almost – it almost feels miraculous when you have a a kid who – really struggles in school and the school figures out a way to connect with your kid. It really like the, the sense of gratitude you have as a parent is so profound. Um, you know, because what's, I don't know, you're not a parent yet, or I don't know if you're going to be, but, um, at least I don't think you are, but I mean, (laughs) I'm not, but as a parent, you like, you go to sleep thinking about your kids, you wake up thinking about your kids. It's like, there, there's a, I think there's a Yiddish saying that's like a parent is only as happy as his least happy child, you know, or her least happy yeah. child, you know, and it's, it's true. I, I, you're emotionally tied in and connected and you want your kids to be happy. So, you know, school being able to come through in that way was just such a gift. Well, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to do the last part now because we've been talking for like an hour. 
Um, (laughs) And I hardly have to cut this off, some of it. So this is called standardized test, which is like quick questions uh, with quick answers. Okay, Uh, I'll try. (laughs) Do you have any catchphrases, like things you say over and over? It depends. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) It's usually when people say, is this good? Is group work good? Is this good? Ah. Do you like such and such? It depends. depends. Yeah. Um, Did you have a favorite subject as a kid? Anything that was taught well. Okay. (laughs) I love that. Uh, What is a new thing you have learned recently? Um... I know what Snapchat is now. <laughs> Do you have one? I'm threatening my daughters to get one, but I don't think so. I don't, I don't, it, it's really strange to me. It is. It's real fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is a song or album you are listening to over and over recently? Oh, Hamilton. Yeah. How could it not be? Mm-hmm. Um, who is a person that you think everyone should follow on Twitter? Oh, that's a hard question. That's the hardest question you've asked me. Yeah, it's tough. Tina gave up and went on the the Mitt Boss blog bot. I was like, that feels like that's cheating. a nice cop out. Um, I don't know. Can can I say Fawn Win? Yeah, you can say Fawn Win. Fawn Win is I- fun to follow on Twitter. Uh, warning to anyone who's going to follow Fun Win, there's some bad language in her tweets, but if you follow me, you probably already have that problem. That's probably true. <laughs> what is the, well, now, now this is a strange question. I don't know how you answer this. What is the best PD you've ever been to? Or no, no, that's not, that's not a strange question. Okay. Um, it was, it was a teacher led PD, um, that the real side teachers did that was called algebra week where they got together a week before school started and really like set themselves goals for the year. And they had all gone off to various workshops over the summer and they shared out what they'd learned. It was some of the most amazing grassroots teacher learning I've ever been a part of. Cool. Um, what is the TV show that you have watched either start to finish or the most times? Okay. I don't usually watch things twice. Um, I'm totally caught up on Jane the Virgin. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say I watched all of Nashville. <laughs> Even though it was so bad in so many ways, I couldn't help it. Can I tell you I watched the first season, maybe the second too, and then I just started reading Vulture.com's recap. Yes, Max Weiss. Those recaps are so good. That's, that's part of why I couldn't quit it because – Max says, I wanted to be able to join in with the recaps. I don't, I, you don't even have to watch it to join in. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I did both, but I always watched. I could not wait for the overnight recaps. Those are that so funny, those ones. Oh uh-huh. She was great. Um, what is the weirdest place you have run into a student? A Rolling Stones concert while I was still teaching at, and it was at Oakland A's Stadium. And my student was in the row behind me, and the people I was with were getting high. <laughs> wow, that's rough. Yeah, well, I was like, I was really nervous. Like, what's he going to say to me in class the next day? Like, you know, I clearly, I was not getting high. But, like, what, what's this kid going to say? And it was really cute because he was like, 
Hey, Ms. Horn, that was a cool concert last night, huh? I was like, oh, you're kind of pretending like we went to that together. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like it when they do that. I know. It's really cute. Uh, What is something that you are really good at? I am surprisingly good at watching teaching when it happens live and kind of picking out the crucial moments that are interesting to discuss. That is a really good skill. It's super fun. Uh, What would you be if you weren't um, in education? Hmm. Maybe an architect or maybe a set designer on Broadway. Um, what is your favorite iPad app or terrible time killer on your phone? Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. I can't believe you asked that. Uh, Refranzes was one of the Kardashian games. Okay, no, okay. Mine is embarrassing in a different way just because it's like 1990s animation. It's um, this game called Threes. Yes. I, I figured out 2048 really, like, eventually, and so it became not interesting anymore. And threes has enough randomness in it that it frustrates me still. So I I play it too much. (laughs) Oh, I still do 2048 sometimes um, on my computer, though, because I can't swipe fast enough, and I like the clicking on the computer. Okay, I've not tried that. It's the speed that I enjoy. Um, This question comes from Refrans. Could you survive the zombie apocalypse? Definitely not. I'd be so grossed out. I would just throw in the towel and be like, ugh. Yeah, same, same. I just don't think I would survive. I'm not very survival. Um, Sadie would like to know um, if you had to get a tattoo, would you? And what would you get? I am not really a tattoo person just because, like, I can't even figure out what hairstyle I want. (laughs) Like, I... I always marvel at people with tattoos. Like, how did you know, like, in 50 years or 20 years even, that you still want that on you? Like, I just don't have that much confidence in my own taste. Um, so I don't know what I would – I don't think I could do it. just can't commit. I found that as I get older, the ones I get when I get older I like more. But I, I, I understand that feeling. Yeah. Um, And the Tina's question is, um, and this is weird, again, because you're not at a school, but her question was, um, if you could change one thing about your school, what would you change? Well, one thing I would change about my university would be to increase the transparency so that we could really figure out how to make it a more inclusive place for uh, faculty of color and students of color. I feel like the real meat of what's going on is sort of what goes on behind closed doors because I can't always figure it out by what sort of is going on on paper. Yeah, that's reasonable. Um, So if you could – there will be other guests on this podcast. If you could ask people a question, what question would you ask them? I could ask people a question. If you knew you had – three months to live. It wasn't going to be a painful three months, but Mm -hmm. um, what would you make sure to do? Gosh, that's hard. I'm really boring. I feel like mine would be like spend more time with my family. 
No, that's not boring at all. I'm just not. No, that's awesome that you have a family that you love so much that you'd feel like you'd want to spend time with them. I think that's great. They're pretty okay. <laughs> Your mom seems awesome. I, I remember her from TMC. She is awesome. Um, she was actually like, I think I was talking to you. Oh, about oh about your article that we're not going to talk about, but that I loved so much. Um, mm-hmm. Your belonging in the classroom one, and I was talking to her about it, and she was like, "You you asked Lonnie to be on the podcast, right?" And I was like, <laughs> "No, I forgot." She was like, "Maybe you should do that." And I was like, "Okay." Shout out to Anne's mom. Yeah, Chris Harris knows what's going on. She's Woo! she's real smart. Um, she actually came to graduation last night. Love it. She's a good mom. Okay, last question. This is the one that I end, and it is a summer vacation question, so I don't know exactly. Um, What is the best thing you did today? Oh, God. (sighs) Today was not a great day for this question. Um, (laughs) What was the best? You know what? I slept late. Oh, solid. That's pretty good. Yeah, no complaints here. Cool. Well, thank you for talking to me. It was fun, Anne. I should really like make up some outro music and intro music that's the same every time. That would be a good choice, yeah? Thank you so much to Lonnie, who is endlessly fascinating. If you're interested in any of the resources Lonnie mentioned, please uh, shoot me a tweet at at Soph Germain or shoot Lonnie a tweet at at Ilana underscore Horn. Otherwise, have an excellent couple of weeks. I hope that you are on summer vacation or very, very, very near summer vacation and that you are napping or traveling or spending time with your family or beaching, whatever is best for your life. And that's it. Bye.